Podcast. Hold on to your butt. Come on, sucker. Let's get it on. Oh, you want to fight? You want to fight? I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. You don't know anybody named Iris? I don't know nobody named Iris. Can I have a piece of toast? I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Western demands. How could you do this to me? Really, I want to know. Why did you do that? What you feel only matters to you. Step back for one minute and look at the big picture. And that's all. No, no, not for the real fire. The orphans bond a family that very few can understand. Help me. Help you. <laughs> I don't do drugs. Or whatever movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host Iris and I'm here with my older brother. Wesley. Today we are discussing a movie from 2010. A movie that hasn't really aged at all. Inception. Ten years old already. Ten years old. It does not feel dated. At all. Actually, the only thing that feels dated about Inception is Ellen Page. Was there a love connection, interest with her and Joe Golev? Uh, well, I mean, I guess that's what he wanted, but I don't think that that was a thing. Yeah, there's not a lot of romance or sex in Nolan films, Christopher Nolan films. It's not what it's about, man. Got business to attend to. Mostly people in, in Nolan films are in uniforms or in three-piece suits. It takes a lot to get all that stuff off for love scenes. Apparently... By the way, Inception is now available on Amazon Prime. Get it while you can. It won't last forever. Yeah, um, I've seen Inception maybe half a dozen times, and I'm still watching it intently so that I can actually figure out what's going on. Yeah, this is definitely a movie that one should watch again for the purposes of reviewing. And for the purposes of preparing for Tenet. Tenet is going to be released in IMAX, and so it's IMAX or home video, period. If I can't find it in the IMAX, I'm not even going to go to a crappy dollar theater or something to see it. And, and basically, I consider all non-premium theaters dollar theaters. I'm not going to AMC Backyard or something. AMCs have IMAX screens. Yeah, fake IMAX screens. People need to know the difference. People need to know the truth. What's the difference? The difference is the IMAX brand you can slap on any screen that's larger than typical size. The screen size varies so much. Like AMC 18 Del Amo, where we grew up, one of those screens is just magically an IMAX screen because it's a slightly bigger screen. You're not being specific enough. IMAX isn't going to let people put their name on a screen that's not big enough to be IMAX. And yet they do. Like they've got to have all kinds of technical specs and stuff. Nope. It's bigger sound. It's presented in an IMAX IMAX format, which is 65 or 70 millimeter, I believe. And that's pretty much it. And sometimes when movies are filmed using IMAX cameras, they're full frame, so they're not 16-9 letterbox. And so you need an appropriate larger screen in order to fill it out. But that's pretty rare. Well, I guess you're Christopher Nolan's target audience. He's responsible for the newest Batman. Not the newest, but the last three well-regarded Batman. And uh, those were definitely, you know, comic book movies. Not to say that they weren't grittier than usual and that people don't love them, but that wasn't the focus. I think Inception stands kind of, it's a little bit more like Memento way back in the day, but uh, that was not a large-scale movie. 
even with Dunkirk and Interstellar, which was definitely more cerebral, I think Inception is Christopher Nolan's magnum opus. Come at me, bro. Um, it certainly has some great set pieces. So for the purposes of this review and being on the same page, can we just go through the levels here? Yep, sure. Well, we're going through the levels for the main heist, correct? Correct. We're talking about where the attempt inception on the blue-eyed dude. <laughs> uh, on Fisher. You love Killian Murphy. Okay, so the first, so when they attempt inception on Fisher, they first go into Fisher's dream. Yep, and that is the downtown Los Angeles area in the van with Yusuf in the rain. And it was kind of more New York-y, wasn't it, with the cabs and the, and the bridges and the, stuff? The wild availability of cabs, absolutely. But that was definitely in the middle of downtown LA. Interesting. So initially Cobb wanted to leave Ariadne out, but she insists on coming. Like, the architect doesn't need to be there? She doesn't need to be there. She constructs the dream space, but she doesn't need to be a participant. Uh, there's a lot of hairy stuff going on. It's just another complication, but she needs to keep an eye on Cobb because Cobb is not well. No. Okay, so we're in the downtown location. I think technically all all subsequent levels are also Fisher's subconscious. No, it can't be because he drops into, un spoiler, he drops into unconstructed dream space, which happens to be constructed because it's where Cobb and Maul lived way back in the day. And maybe it's not his dream, but it would have to be because Ariadne would never design it based on Cobb's specs. In fact, she was yeah, she bewildered would. when she dropped down there herself. Right. They drop from Fisher level one, which is the van in L.A. and Yusef driving the van to level two, which is the hotel that Fisher constructs. Because in level one, everyone was militarized and his subconscious projections were well out to get them. And so they dropped down a secondary level where he had to further convince Fisher, who was also manifesting uh, those tough security guys that Arthur needed to fight with in the hotel uh, hallway. For some reason, I thought that they all go into each other's dreams. And that's why when they get to the point where it's just Cobb and Ariadne, they have no choice but to go into Cobb because, like, he's the only one left. By the way, do you remember when movie emojis were like the thing? The movie emoji game? Oh, right. When you put in emojis and you have to guess the title for it. Yeah. And I gave you a plot driven inception emoji puzzle and you gave up. What was it? You didn't even try to figure it out. Was it like a baby and like a lightning bolt or something? Well, that's Harry Potter. But it was like a van and then an arrow down and then like a hotel and then the arrow down <laughs> and so on and so forth. And you were like, I don't this is supposed to be fun. I don't even want to try to figure this one out. And you were all butthurt because you put a lot of thought into it. And I didn't I just didn't care like Plokobotive. <laughs> you appreciated Plokobotive. Yeah, I, I keep telling people I pass it off as my own. But <laughs> Plokobotive, by the way, is my portmanteau of plane, ship and train. <laughs> I've seen this movie so many times. I honestly can't. I know this sounds pretentious. I cannot remember a time when this movie doesn't make sense to me. And so the flip side of that is when I watch it and it makes sense to me what levels of dream they're in, what they're trying to achieve. I then notice some of the inconsistencies where I'm like, wait, if they're in Fisher's mind, why would they drop into Cobb's subconscious? And that trips me up a little bit. Hmm. I don't know how true this is, but supposedly on Japanese TV, when this is broadcast in the upper left hand corner, there are numbers so that the viewer can keep track of which sub level of dream they're in. <laughs> well, they do do a lot of intercutting between the levels, especially near the end. And when they need a nice transition shot, they're like, let's just cut back to the van yep. and free fall. 
and the van has made three feet of progress in the air on its way toward the water. But I do remember a time. I saw this in the theater, and then I saw this in the theater again, and then I'm pretty sure I saw this in the theater again. And it was very confusing. They always leave someone behind. Who initiates the kick in the plane? The stewardess? Well, no. Yusef, in the first layer down, puts the headphones on Arthur and starts to play Edith Piaf. But yep. that's to warn them of the kick, whereas the actual kick is twofold, which is a little bit confusing. The first is the van hitting the guardrail as he backs off the bridge, which apparently was intentional. The idea of driving four five unconscious people off a bridge with Yusef driving and just assuming they're all going to be okay and come to their senses in time to scramble out. Like, even if everyone was alive and conscious and wearing helmets, I'm not sure that driving off the bridge is the best way to go. Okay. First level, plane. Second level, Well, no, plane is reality. Downtown area. Plane is, re well, is it? Yeah. Well, <laughs> let's go with plane is reality for the purposes of this review. <laughs> Plane is reality, then they go one level down to downtown, then they go another level down to the hotel, then they go to the snow fortress? The Winter Wonderland Snow Fortress, which apparently is a hospital. Now, it's a well-guarded hospital, but later on when Ariane is, is with Mal and Cobb and they're trying to find Fisher when Mal has him, she says... As a suggestion, we, you know, you go down, find him, and then we'll use the kick, synchronize the kick, blow up the hospital, and everybody rides the kick up back through the layers. So she knew what it was, and she knew that it was a hospital, but it looked like a snow fortress that was heavily guarded with Humvees and armed guards. All of whom were Fisher's projections right. still. So that that's how we know that they were in Fisher's mind, because she asked if he was destroying that part of Fisher's mind when he was shooting the guards in the head. It's possible that they were in another person's subconscious. They can't control their subconscious to make sure that they don't turn on you, because everyone's subconscious is hostile to f having their dreams manipulated. Subconscious. What did I say? Subconscious. <laughs> they're they're feeling really bad about it. Anyway, it's possible that they were in another subconscious. <laughs> <laughs> anybody's subconscious is hostile to being manipulated. Yeah, well, it's a template, right? Because you can obviously manipulate another person's subconscious. Eventually, they're going to come after you. The projections are going to come after you, especially, as Cobb said, the more you change things. But that didn't stop Ariadne from dropping into Cobb's dreams uninvited and infiltrating his secret, horrible murder nest. Yeah, the 12 levels of murderous regret. Yeah. His template is in place and she can enter it. And then when she changes or she doesn't really change it, but she, when she's uninvited and Maul gets a hold of her, that's some scary stuff. Well, he he can't let go of her. And that is the emotional anchor of this film, right? That he needs to forgive himself, that he needs to let her go and he needs to leave her in the dream, recognize that she's not real and move on with his life. Right. Where she won't haunt him anymore. Right. And it was necessary to kill her in order to do that? Well, he let her go and then she stabbed him in the chest. So Ariadne had to immobilize her. When he wakes up in the plane, is it because he died in the van? I'm not sure because it was established that if they die in that level of reality, they were dead. 
because everybody else climbed up, but Cobb didn't swim out of the van, right? He died. Right. And then they he woke up there. on the plane. So that's what I was saying. When this movie makes sense levels-wise to me, and then that kind of stuff happens where it's established that if Saito dies in the L.A. dream level one, that he dies for real. But didn't they all die for real in one level or another? Well, it's possible that timeline-wise, he comes up from Saito's limbo before he actually dies in the van. Because the timeline in the van is so short and the timeline in limbo is so long. Maybe. So is limbo the lowest level they can go? No, I think it's infinite until until you die. In, I don't know. <laughs> so there's a lot to be worked out. It's a very complicated script. I don't know how this movie got made in the way. This movie exists as a miraculous gem of creativity. It, it feels like a different studio system where I... I kind of believe that this movie couldn't be made today, but it was basically made today. I mean, 10 years ago, wasn't that long. He made it in between the two Batman. Batman? Yeah, that he was filming. and just You mean the Batmans? Right. So he had this concept a while, a, a long time before the Batman, and he, they, he had a tentative agreement to have it financed, but he didn't have a fully fleshed out script. And he was like, I should probably get this right. And he went away thinking it would be a few months until he could get it straightened out, and it took eight years. And it's so unwieldy and on the surface, a huge budget intensely complicated cerebral action heist movie doesn't seem like the thing that they would be like, let's throw hundreds of millions at it. Well, you couldn't do it without those hundreds of millions. And he had Leonardo DiCaprio. I guess he did. And this stands, in my humble opinion, and we can get into this, Leonardo DiCaprio's best movie, despite having Leonardo DiCaprio in it. He has like 30 seconds of legitimate acting in this movie, and that's when he's that's when he wakes up in the plane. But in what scenario does his acting really come through? This is my problem. I don't think he's an amazing transcendent actor. I think he's capable and he has an amazing movie around him that he tries not to muck up. The Leo finger is strong in this one. <laughs> the finger makes at least two appearances. I'd like to see if you have more. Nope. The first finger happens in like the first five minutes. It's a subtle finger, but it's there. <laughs> and then he goes full pointy finger at, at Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yep. I don't know. For Cobb to be the mastermind of this operation and the best trained extractor in the business, whatever the business is, seems unlikely. And I get that you have Leonardo DiCaprio and you have a lot of star power behind him. Tom Hardy was barely a thing at the time. I like his slimy kind of sweaty Eames. I like his, that character a lot, but it seems like he would have been better suited to uh, mastermind this whole operation. And in fact, I think Jogolev does a really good job as little and, and kind of a slight dude as he is. He has the matrixy Neo intense stare down and he's all business. And I think that he is as a, he could have played the Cobb role as well, if not better. It's just a shame he's a little dude. And so he doesn't have the presence. But he's very Mission Impossible. He's very... When he's basically taking care of business in the hotel right? by himself. Yeah. And wrangling all these bodies in a in a zero-gravity state, like, he gets the job done. Yeah. How did he get the training in order to be able to fight the dude in the hotel corridor? Like, where they're like, well, in the instance that we're in the middle of free fall, you know, another layer up, let's fight in zero gravity. And, and we got to get you trained for that in case of that incident. Are you talking about as Arthur or as an actor? No, as as Arthur. Arthur was pretty throw downy in the hotel hallway. 
And I don't know how he would have trained for that or how he would have known. And I guess that's another thing, too, the elevator, how that could provide the inner ear kick that they all needed. Because they're aware that the van is going to be in freefall because the first kick would have been the van hitting the railing. And because they missed it, they had to operate in zero gravity, only in one level, apparently. They were in the hotel in the hotel uh, hallway. But they would have known if they missed the first kick that Arthur would be in freefall. The van would be in freefall. Arthur would have zero gravity. So they should really give him the kudos, right? Thanks for lashing us all together and working out that kick in no gravity. Well, I think they all had to do a little bit of improvising, right? Yeah. And his is just a little bit more complicated than maybe Ariadne's in Cobb's dream level. But Arthur works it out, man. And and honestly, the exposition that comes from Arthur is probably the most helpful, I think, is really good and succinct. And the humor. And humor, yeah. And bouncing off of Eames a little bit. You know who was the worst and yet who had an inexplicable amount of exposition to give? Saito? That would have been the magical Ken Watanabe who we have to respect as one of our only prominent Japanese, let alone Asian-American actors out there. And uh, love that dude. Dude, that guy has a lot of dialogue that's really hard to follow. And it's all <laughs> super important. It is really important. And his accent isn't bad, but it is. it adds a layer to the already complicated exposition. Not to mention Maul's accent. Yeah. It's dumb to nitpick accents, and I like that there's an international cast or whatever, but like... It's hard when you're already having to ride the volume like crazy because of the vast differences between the dialogue-driven scenes and the action-driven scenes. And on top of that, you have the crashes and the gunshots and the and Hans Zimmer's blah kind of score. <laughs> and yeah, so, and it comes out of nowhere. Yeah, but uh, I'm, I can blow your mind. I can make you gasp. Do you know who turned down the Mahler role because she couldn't see herself in that role, supposedly? Could have been the reunion. Almost was the reunion. Kate Winslet. Kate Winslet. How crazy would that be? Because she couldn't see herself as Maul? I don't know. Marion Cotillard is soft and French and very nice and all that stuff. And she is a little bit hard to understand, particularly in this role. But as Maul, she is terrifying for me. She is so scary. And I don't know that Kate Winslet would have been able to do that. I don't know. I think she could have. She's great. But it, it is funny when beauty takes a turn and it becomes scary. Yeah. Like, it's just like, just around the corner, you can be scary beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So Ellen Page descends to basement level and she confronts Maul. But when they're facing off and she's kind of circling her in that cocktail dress, and you can just see the difference in stature and her sort of imposing presence, and she really makes Ellen Page look tiny and insignificant. Oh, she's terrifying. And like, this is the space that Maul inhabits. This is her, this is her world. Like, yeah. When they square off, she's definitely very menacing. Yep. I really do think Kate Winslet could have done it. In fact, she could, yeah, she would have been great. I was, I thought it was kind of weird that Kobayashi was the dad. No, man. Pete Postlethwaite is the man. And when we talk about this movie in terms of commitment and, and, and carrying it off, he is so good at what he does. I miss that dude a lot. You know, he died of cancer and he had cancer when he had this movie when the dad is dying. But there's just something about him knowing that he's going through the same, a similar thing as the uh, Maurice Fisher character. And uh, yeah, he was the man. They say that so that they're not just mercenaries or in Cobb's case, they're not just trying to get back to their family and to their home. They talk about the potential effect that this inception is going to have on the younger Fisher. Yes. And I don't know if they actually express any remorse about that, but they're at least aware that they're playing with somebody's life, like a real life. 
And it's interesting that the emotional moment that happens between the fishers is completely manipulated and manufactured. Like they gave young Robert a much more satisfying conclusion to his relationship with his father than actually happened in real life. Yeah, because Maurice Fisher was a punk. He didn't care about his son. He was disappointed in his son. He was disappointed. And yet in this, could you say that they actually did him a service? I believe so, especially because it wasn't someone trying to convince him of something that wasn't true. I mean, technically it was, but they convinced him on such a subconscious level that he manifested it as his own actual idea. It was a byproduct of the inception process, and I think that it, he was better for it. Maybe it would have been easier for him to accept his old bastard dad's death if he knew that the dude hated him. But still, to come away with a better feeling. I, I can't see that it's a bad thing. So it's difficult to justify a mind crime like this, and especially for people's own needs. I don't know. It's, it's more dubious whether or not it's morally acceptable for Saito to break up this monopoly on energy, right? Well, he is trying to, he's supposedly doing it to prevent energy monopoly, which is not good for anybody. Right. But it also could have been just a line. How do they know? How does Cobb know what Fisher Morrow is doing? I mean, it's a little bit thin that Cobb would get on the plane with no assurances. Sure, he has to be trusted. But also, what magical power does Saito wield that he can make a single phone call 20 minutes from customs and Cobb can go through without a problem? He owns the airline. He's a rich dude who can you know, he's got he's got connections and they don't bother with that because there's too much other stuff to bother with. I am relieved and thankful that Christopher Nolan has Saito say, you don't know that I can do this, but you don't really have another choice because I don't need the mechanics of that. I do not need to figure out. But when they're in the plane and they're all waking up, it's clear that all of the um, extractors, all of Cobb's team know what happened right but is robert fisher sitting there being like dude i just had the weirdest dream yeah probably he is part of this new timeline of consciousness right the idea has been planted his real life adapts to his subconscious perception of his life but he doesn't remember seeing them in his dream i would hope not i don't think so i mean he does give Cobb kind of a weird look at baggage claim but i was wondering if maybe that had to do with the passport. Yeah, like a brief, familiar thing. And so this character right. who is so essential, I mean, I guess at that point we had dispensed with sort of everyone and we were following only Cobb's story. But yeah, we walk through and, and we're done with the Fisher character. He's just kind of done. And yeah, I think it was appropriate. You know, I wouldn't have been, I mean, if I watched the Japanese version and there were numbers telling me what dream they were in, I would watch those to correspond with my own understanding. I don't think it would hurt. But uh, to your earlier point, this is a great puzzle movie to unstick, but at the same time has to be propelled through the character drama and the arcs and your emotional connection with the Cobb character and with the Mal character, which I think is effective. As sad and scary as she was, she was also sort of the flashbacks of what she, who she really was versus what she became. Yeah, it's important because him recognizing that is his turn, right, where he's like, you're not her. And therefore, he's able to more easily let her go. And I thought that the coda of him being re reunited with his kids, spoiler, was secondary to the idea of being re reunited with his family. It's not like he got to hold them, you know, on screen. We cut away from him walking out the door to greet them and focused on the, the totem. So, I mean, since you brought it up. Nope. You have to land. No, you have to. Nope. I'm saying the answer is no. Oh, no. No. 
He's not in reality. He's not in reality. I wanted, I wanted it so much, and you see the top wobble, and all our our hopes and our fears rest on that stupid top, and it wobbles just before we go to black. But there were markers and indicators that suggested we have no idea how long Cobb was on the run, but apparently it was far enough along so that he was not able to dream anymore on his own, that he had been through all these little odd jobs and stuff, and would still occasionally visit his father-in-law was Michael Caine supposed to be Mal's dad and thus the grandfather of the kids he I think it was his biological dad you think that that was Cobb's dad I think that Michael Caine is Cobb's dad and then Mal's mom is taking care of the kids okay but you know so I'm not sure how long it was but those kids didn't age Although they did, because uh, Kelly and I tracked it, and there were different ages for the kids, but I think that they were in his memories. We saw a glimpse of them as an infant. Maybe they were a slightly different age on the beach when he's taking Ariadne on, a, on an unwilling tour through his subconscious. But the, the point is, at the end, he sees them, and they are the same age, number one. That's arguable, of course, but unfortunately, they're wearing the same outfits as they were when he left. Now, how Cobb would be in a subsequent layer of dream, I'm not sure. But he couldn't let us get off scot-free. We had to hang on to this idea of the torture and the and the maze that he was in. But the good news is, if and when he dies, in what we established for the purposes of this conversation is reality, then he'll just go up a level and he'll be reunited with Maul. Maybe. The good one. I mean, it makes sense when he's, she says, you don't think you're dreaming? international globetrotting spies coming to get you that doesn't feel that feels very dreamlike that feels like something that he would manufacture for himself to keep himself busy to keep life exciting right does christopher nolan come down one way or the other on this issue i don't know i haven't heard a lot about uh how what his position is i think he's just happy that he made it through it and nobody yelled at him for screwing it up (laughs) the guy's got so much power it's ridiculous yeah and his wife too we were talking about clout in Hollywood, because you would need clout to get a movie like this made. It's a hell of a gamble, and for it to pay off on a James Cameron level is is super admirable. Was it really a gamble? Don't you want to be in the Christopher Nolan business as a studio? Memento costs $4 with a Sharpie for tattoos and some clever editing. I would say that Inception wasn't told the easiest that it possibly could have been. I think that it was very confusing and you're either on board or it's a confusing mess and you feel stupid. Mm, I think there's a middle ground. You can enjoy this movie for its spectacle. Yes, you definitely can. You can appreciate it for its spectacle, but also there is an emotional gravity to it. And I think that even if you at the most base level get the idea that you can go into these dream worlds and that time expands when you're there, then you can understand the emotional basis of Cobb's character. And I think that is why it doesn't really matter if they are in reality at the end or not, because he's with his kids. He feels like he's in a good place. He can spend years decades there with them living that life and then you know find out what happens that's how he comes to terms with the life that he had with Maul like maybe it wasn't reality but they had decades together they created they had fun they enjoyed their each other's company and what more to life is there other than being able to enjoy the time that you have does it really matter if you spend that time in an alternate reality or a subconscious reality like I guess this is just a matrix question, really. 
But it seems like Nolan doesn't, I would guess he doesn't answer because it doesn't matter. And I can't argue with that. I feel like this is the movie that keeps on giving. The layers of Inception are rich and detailed and hold together under scrutiny and multiple viewings pretty well. And so that is what makes me happy. I mean, I'm already invested in the movie emotionally and for, to be able to watch it again and to revel in the layers of intricacy in the dreams as well as the technical aspects of the filmmaking, how he achieved such a thing without resorting to cheap digital effects for the vast majority of the picture is what I find to be to, is what I find uh, is the most valuable in Inception. And just in general, I'm not saying that the, the, the guy sells me every time. But uh, I look forward to Christopher Nolan movies. And, uh, you know, people like Eric are like, so here comes Tenet. It's going to be the same old surreal, dreamy, kind of confusing time warp, anachronistic type of movie. And I'm like, ooh, cool, because I really want that. If you want to just like watch and have fun and not invest yourself intellectually in the film, you can still enjoy it. And I think that's why his films are, are successful. But anyway, what is your rating Inception is one of the most immersive movies I can think of. It's complicated and it pays off every time. It's rich in emotionalism. It's rich in technical virtuosity. And the uh, my viewing experience depends on what mood I'm in, what I choose to focus on. And because of that, it is one of my favorite movies. This movie gets a totally rating for me. If you haven't seen it, you're dumb. Uh, check it out and then watch Tenet. It's pretty easy and clear that Inception's a good movie, right? Yeah, but you have to put emphasis on it. You have to be like, this is a good movie. Inception's a great movie. Thank you for listening. We appreciate your patronage, our Patreon supporters. We couldn't do this without you. We'd love to know what you think about Inception or Christopher Nolan movies in general. Um, Also, I guess I need help on pronunciation for subconscious. (laughs) 818-835-0473 is our hotline. We'd love to hear from you. Give us a call. Leave us a voicemail or send us an email or whatever movies at gmail.com. Please like and subscribe. Like? <laughs> Please subscribe to our podcast. It helps people find us. We are growing and we can't do it without you. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Electric Acid. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonize your mind, body, and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together we explore vibrations, frequencies and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electric acid. Electric acid.